Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvot Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. We are located at the corner of Boulevard and Grove, across from the Art Museum. For more information, you can visit our website at tikvotisrael.com. There, you can support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and contact us with any questions or comments. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. This past week, um, I heard a podcast on uh, This American Life. Um, It was entitled Heretics. Hmm, interesting. And they focused on a story they had produced back in 2005. They rebroadcasted it um, because they are coming out with a movie on the same subject. And the movie and the podcast were based on a Reverend Carlton Pearson. All right. Uh, raise your hand if you're familiar with him, if you heard his name before. No? Okay. Yes. One person or two. All right. So um, this was a preacher who came out of the evangelical movement. He was a mentor to T.D. Jakes. He had uh, a mega church in Oklahoma with over 6,000 people in attendance every Sunday. And at some point in his ministry, Reverend Pearson developed a kind of different theology than where he had come from, and uh, what he calls the gospel of inclusion, where he maintains that everyone, everyone is included in the kingdom of God, and everyone has a share in the world to come, no matter what. And this theology is also known as the wider hope. Tractate Sanhedrin 11 from the Talmud states that all Israel has a share in the world to come. Now, the Talmud is a collection of traditional writings and interpretations of Scripture, and it is helpful for practice and Jewish life, but the Talmud is not authoritative. It's not on the same level as Scripture. So the question is, what does Scripture say about this subject. How can we enter the kingdom of heaven? Who has a share in the world to come, that is, eternal life with God? On the one hand, there's no way that I can answer this definitively. It's not really up to me, in a sense, to say who is entering the kingdom of heaven and who isn't with complete authority. That being said, I can share how I have thought about this question based on the scriptures. And my hope is that it will encourage us with the right balance of humility and conviction. But before we answer the first question, I'm going to answer that with another question, which is, you know, we we Jews like to do that, I guess. All right? And then I'll swing back around to the first one a little later on. So my second question is... What is the focus of the scriptural narrative? What is the focus of scripture? Although many people today are interested in the first question that I mentioned about going to the world to come after death, the focus of scripture seems to be something altogether different. The merging of heaven and earth. The kingdom of heaven breaking through onto the earth. The presence of God and his establishing his kingdom on the earth. And even when the focus is on the world to come, 
it's often put in terms of a renewed or a redeemed earth, the redemption uh, and the restoration of, of what we see around us. And why do I say this? What are some examples of this where the kingdom of heaven breaks through into the earth? Well, most of the thrust of the Torah and the New Covenant writings, it discusses our behavior, right? How then shall we live on this earth? What is the center of this? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the center of the Torah. It's, and a good summary of the Torah is also found in Micah 6, verses 8. And this is what it says. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. It's a summary of kind of our actions on earth. Another excellent summary of the Torah is found in Jonah. Of course, I'm referring to the Veggie Tales story based on the book of Jonah, uh, where one of the songs sums up the Torah quite well, and I'm going to sing it for you now. <clears throat> do not fight, do not cheat, wash your hands before you eat. There is nothing quite as sweet, a message from the Lord. Be a friend, say your prayers, heaven loves a heart that cares. That is why I've come to share a message from the Lord. And if you follow God's commands, there will be peace throughout the land. You will live long and happy lives with your sheep, your kids, your wives. Don't eat pigs, don't eat bats, don't eat beetles, flies, or gnats. Stay away from all of that, a message from the Lord. Do what's right, don't provoke. Put four tassels on your cloak. Do not laugh, it's not a joke, a message from the Lord. Yeah. Veggie Tales, pretty good, right? Aside from the washing your hands line, which I think is more of a tradition, uh, I'm pretty sure all of that is in the Torah. Would we agree? Right? It's a good summary. And this is also the thrust of the New Covenant writings as well. Moral uprightness on the earth. Because when we follow God's commands, we are, in a sense, ushering in the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Is this not the focus of Yeshua's prayer? He tells us to seek this, to ask for God's will on earth as it is in heaven. So that is to be our focus. There are times when this crossover, this uh, meeting of heaven and earth, is more focused and more intense. When the presence of God is made manifest on the earth. The tabernacle and the temple were designed this way. This is one of the focuses, of course, of the narrative of Shavuot, or Pentecost, which is coming up in about a week. And we're very excited. And this is what we're pressing toward. Right, This appointed time of Shavuot, and we're counting up the days. Remember, we're counting up? Ah, ah, ah. Remember that? Right? So this is what it says in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. This is uh, a picture of Shavuot, or Pentecost, in uh, the early community. The festival of Shavuot arrived, and the believers all gathered together in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from the sky like the roar of a violent wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then they saw what looked like tongues of fire, which separated and came to rest 
on each one of them. They were all filled with the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, and began to talk in different languages as the Spirit enabled them to speak. And let's leave that up there for a second, please. So several things to note here. Number one, there were Jews from all over, from all different countries, and they were all gathered together. Why, did they, why were they all there? Because it was Shavuot. Shavuot is a pilgrimage festival. That's one of the three times where you go up to Jerusalem to gather. Okay? And second, uh, we noticed that the word uh, wind in Greek and Hebrew, it's the same, uh, same idea. It's panuma in Greek or in, in Hebrew, it would be ruach, right? So that means wind, but it also means spirit, okay? So the ruach, the spirit of God, comes in a dramatic way here. What does this remind us of? It reminds us of the, the narrative in Ezekiel, right, where the ruach comes over the dead, dry bones and brings life, bringing life. Remember, the Holy Spirit is the personal presence of God. It's the life force which empowers God's people. And we also see uh, there's a mention of what looked like tongues of fire, right? What does fire remind us of? It reminds us of the temple sacrifices, right, that were burnt up. It also reminds us of the burning bush. Remember, that was God's presence as well, God meeting with um, Moses, okay? So it's, it's the kingdom of heaven here manifest on earth by God's abiding holiness. We see a picture of God's kingdom breaking through during Shavuot, during Pentecost, right? Lastly, we can see all of this as a reversal of that other kingdom. Remember the kingdom of Babylon or Babel? Right? What's going on there? Well, in the Tower of Babel, they built up the tower to make their own name great. Look at me. I'm so great, right? We're going to build this tower, and we're going to take over the throne of God, and we're, we're going to say what we think is right and what we think is wrong. It's basic rebellion 101, Babel, the Tower of Babylon. And what did God do? He scattered them, and he made them all speak in different languages, different tongues, so that they couldn't, uh, they couldn't uh, work together on this rebellion project, all right? But what happens here? This is the reversal of that. If you read later on, it says that each person heard the praises of God in their own language. All of the men were Galilean Jews, but they were, they, each person heard somehow the praises of God in their different language. Because remember, all the Jews from all over um, every nation in the known world were gathered at this time. So it's, it's a direct reversal of the kingdom of Babylon, the kingdom of Babel. It's a reversal of the confusion. It's a reversal of that kingdom. What is that kingdom? That is the kingdom of heaven, heaven on earth. So what do we have so far? Thank you, Gordon. The main thrust of the scriptures we've seen is not us going to heaven later on, although that's in there, but it is about God bringing heaven to us. It is about the kingdom of heaven, which shows up as a moral code. It shows up. It is the center of the Torah, and it shows up in the abiding presence of God, uh, which ever since Acts 2, ever since this moment, is brought to fullness in the body of Yeshua followers. We are now 
the carriers of this presence. We are, the, we are now, our bodies are the center of, of God's bringing heaven on earth according to this. Because by his, what? His Holy Spirit. And this brings us to the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, who are at the center of this heaven and earth collision plan. We can look at the call of Avraham. What does God say in Genesis 12, verse 3? Through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And we understand that God has an irrevocable calling of Israel. That means it cannot be taken back. And of course, God includes all of the nations into this plan through Yeshua, who is the one man Israel. And all nations are grafted in to these promises and the faithfulness of God by faith in Yeshua. And Messianic Jews are no exception. We are regrafted in to that same promise by the same faith in Yeshua, as Paul says in Romans. But there is a sense from Scripture of God's unending faithfulness to Israel, which confirms, of course, his faithfulness to all people groups through Yeshua. So if we understand that the kingdom of heaven is upon us, and that God's enduring intention is to bring this kingdom through Israel, then we can look at our original question with fresh eyes. Who has a share in the world to come? Who will inherit eternal life in the presence of God? Luke 18, verses 18 through 27, tells an interesting story about this. So, Let's read together. One of the leaders asked him, good rabbi, that is, uh, asked Yeshua, what should I do to obtain eternal life? Yeshua said to him, why are you calling me good? No one is good but God. You know the mitzvot, that is the commandments. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't give false testimony, honor your father and your mother. Of course, those come from the Ten Commandments, right? Which is a summary of the Torah. He replied, I have kept all these since I was a boy. On hearing this, Yeshua said to him, there is one thing you still lack. Sell whatever you have, distribute the proceeds to the poor, and you will have riches in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the man heard this, he became very sad because he was very rich. Yeshua looked at him and said, how hard is it for people with wealth to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to pass through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Those who heard this asked, well, then who can be saved? Who could possibly enter? He said, what is impossible humanly is possible with God. So who will inherit eternal life? If, if you look at the, the plain reading of this text, those that are righteous, those that are following the commandments will inherit the kingdom. That is, those who are bringing about God's kingdom, who are following his commandments, those are righteous. Does this mean that we are made righteous by our own good works? If we love others, or if we do works of justice, or if we forgive our enemies, or if we give to the poor, as it says in the Torah? Well, not so fast. I was once watching a debate between Dr. Michael Brown, a Messianic Jewish apologist, and Rabbi Daniel Freitag, an Orthodox non-Messianic rabbi, on whether or not Yeshua was the Messiah. 
And uh, I found that Rabbi Freitag's objections were quite interesting to me. And his main point that he kept going back to was this, that the Christian view and the Jewish view on being righteous were two different ideas. This is what he said. He said that the Christian view of being righteous was that if you accept the atoning sacrifice of Messiah, that makes you righteous. That is because Yeshua died for us, we are counted as righteous. And he said that the Jewish way of looking at it, that is what is in the Torah, is that to be righteous, you are to keep the commandments, right? And because Yeshua and the New Testament supposedly changed the way of being righteous from keeping the Torah, and now we're trusting in the atonement of Yeshua, according to this rabbi, he said, Yeshua could not be the Messiah. This was the main idea of his entire presentation. So which is it? Are we righteous because we do the right thing? Or are we righteous because we trust in the atonement of Yeshua? Yes. Why not both, right? He is right, and he is right. How can they both be right? You know, you are also right. Okay? The main thing here is to remember is there's an order to it. And Paul puts it this way in Romans 3, verses 28 to 31. Therefore, we hold the view that a person comes to be considered righteous by God on the ground of trusting, that is, by faith in Yeshua, which has nothing to do with legalistic observance of Torah commands. Okay, so maybe they're not related. Or is God the God of Jews only? Isn't he also the God of of the Gentiles. Yes, he is indeed the God of the Gentiles, because, as you will admit, God is one. Therefore, he will consider righteous the circumcised on the ground of trusting, that is, faith, and the uncircumcised through that same trusting. Does it follow that we abolish Torah by this trusting? Heaven forbid. On the contrary, we confirm Torah. That is, why do we do righteous things? Why do we follow the Torah? Because we are considered righteous, right? There's an order to it. They go together, right? Righteous deeds and being righteous by faith, but we are made righteous by faith first, and therefore we do good works. Messianic Jewish theologian Rabbi Dr. David Rudolph, coincidentally our former rabbi, has described it this way, and I think it's a good way to think about it. Those on the road to heaven are characterized by righteousness, by following Torah. If you were to look at the road to heaven and you see, oh, who's over there, right? You would see people doing good works, wouldn't you? Will we affirm that? Yes, right? So the question remains, how are we assured that we are counted as righteous? Who here can say that they have kept themselves pure, that they have followed every commandment in the Torah? And this is where trust in Yeshua comes in. For those of us who have put our trust in Yeshua's atonement, his sacrifice, we have assurance that we have a share in the world to come. One could always trust in their own good deeds, but how can we ever know if that is enough? A better way is to trust in Yeshua and for good works to flow out of that trust. 1 John 5, verse 13, puts it like this. I've written you these things 
so that you may know that you have eternal life. You who keep trusting in the power, the person and the power of the Son of God, Yeshua. Right? That is how we know we have eternal life by trusting in Yeshua. So what do we do with this hope that we have in us? 1 Peter 3, verse 15, gives us very sound advice. He says, Treat the Messiah as holy, as Lord in your hearts, while remaining always ready to give a reasoned answer to anyone who asks you to explain the hope you have in you. Let me read that again. Always ready to give a reasoned answer to anyone who asks you to explain the hope you have in you, yet, this is the important part, with humility and fear. So to anyone that asks, what is the reason for the hope that you have? May we be empowered by the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, 